0: Chicago Bears. They own the number one overall pick, courtesy of the Carolina Panthers. The Chicago Bears select. All right, welcome into the Windy City War Room podcast with your hosts Tim, Brian, and Alyssa. We appreciate you coming in on our. First episode, I'm going to get everything started. This will be your uh, fan podcast, breaking down the NFL draft and Chicago Bears and probably some random Texas talk, college talk, and uh, some more fun for you. So we thought it'd be a good idea to go ahead and do some introductions so you get to know us a little bit to start off, and then we're just going to get right into everything today. So it is uh, January 21st, 2024, Bear season had ended, so let's go through uh Alyssa why don't you go first and introduce yourself and now uh, we'll get going
1: yeah so my name's Alyssa um I'm 25 years old so I'm the young one on this pod um but I went to Texas um so I'm a big Texas fan so when it comes time to the draft I will be slightly biased towards my Texas Longhorns but I try to keep it as normal as I can
0: awesome all right Brian that leads you next uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself you know, maybe your favorite bear back in the 80s when he started to become a fan, you know, as the elder statesman, you just, you just go ahead and give us your long breakdown, all right?
2: Yes, I am Brian. I'm the elder statesman's resident curmudgeon. Um, I actually grew up watching uh, Gail, Sayers and Dick Buckus highlights on NFL films after school. Um, during the time I was actually alive, uh, Mike Singletary is probably my favorite bear. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I grew up in the heart of Eagles country. Um, grew up going to Penn State fans, but I don't really have... Uh, any biases like Alyssa. Um but I've always been involved in the NFL draft and uh really excited to get this started.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh so to finish it out, my name is Tim. I'm uh yeah I'm 36 years old right now and I would be your let's just say the group optimists on the Bears. Um, You'll see a lot of me trying to spin things the most positive way, which is sad because I've been a Bears fan for a very long time as well, but I still have that optimism. I'm excited to see what all happens there. Um, uh, You're gonna hear me talk a lot about O-line, D-line, line line of scrimmage. I'm uh, overly obsessed with a lot of that. Um, My two favorite Bears actually aren't linemen. I mean, they're probably gonna be Matt Forte and Charles Tillman. a lot of different people mixed in there, you know, a lot of own linemen I can talk about that I was a big fan of. I almost bought an Orlando Pace Bears jersey one time because uh, I was so excited for him to be on the Bears. And I'm so glad I didn't spend that money because that'd be very ironic right now. But uh but yeah, you'll see me a lot um talking about the positives. And I'm hoping that Brian and Alyssa can kind of take down my optimism a little bit, remind me that we are the Bears. Um, But I feel like it's a time for optimism. It's a time for excitement because, you know, here we are, it's 2024 and we have the first pack picking the draft for the second time in a row. We have two picks in the top 10. There's a lot of exciting things going on to build up the team. We have a GM who actually likes to use draft picks. It's an exciting time. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the state of the Bears now, our breakdowns of kind of where we, how we thought the season ended, and then we'll uh, transition to a few other things. Like let's hear your thoughts on, your thoughts on the Bears 2023
1: season. Yeah, so I mean, I think, if you told us before the season started that we would have seven wins, everyone would be pretty happy with that. And we would see that as progress, obviously the way it played out. um, The fan base is a little bit split on how that looked. Uh, But I think overall it was a season that met expectations at the end of the day. Um, We were a young developing team and that showed Um, could have had some better quarterback play, you know, with Justin, you always have those highs and then there's some lows there. Um, Offense as a whole though was, was disappointing, but the defense, especially when Iberflus took over control, really turned it around. And watching those rookies were was extremely fun. That was probably the highlight for me, especially at near the end of the season when I knew we weren't really competing for anything. You know, watching Tyreek Stevenson turn it around after I was yelling at him every single week before that. And Dexter, Dexter looks fantastic second hand, second half of the season. So it was really fun watching watching those rookies um, thrive near the second half of the season. And as a Texas fan, you know. And a Bears fan. I'm gonna be the Roshan Johnson homer on this podcast. Absolutely love Roshan. Wish he got the ball more. But yeah, I think overall season season went how we kind of expected.
2: I agree. I think context and nuance is kind of key to the conversation. Like Alyssa mentioned, if you said seven and ten, I think a lot of realistic Bear fans would have been completely on board with that. When you see how we arrived at seven and ten, that's a little bit of a different story. Um, yeah. I think my the, the main positive for me is actually having elite players on both sides of the ball finally um, after kind of having a mass exodus of guys like Roquan and even Robert Quinn when he was playing Khalil Mack um, kind of restored uh, his legacy a little bit this year. But having guys like DJ Moore, Montez Sweat, and even the two linebackers really, Jalen reasserting himself, the um, arrows pointing up. There are deficiencies with the coaching staff, which has been reinforced by the moves that they've made. Um, But overall, I think there's a lot of things to be positive about, but they have to clean up the negatives that always seem to hang over this franchise.
0: You know, it's so funny about this year for me, Brian, is that I think that if Ryan pulls you know, when he interviewed for the GM spot two years ago, if he was selling ownership on a slow, long rebuild, this is like the dream process. You know, you had to imagine year one was going to be let's tear down the team, take the dead cap hits, trade the veterans who aren't going to be here in two to three years. You know, they've lucked out. Lovey Smith, he is welcome to come on the show whenever he wants to. He will always okay, have a here. True. Um, You know, he got us that number one pick. You know, we got to see people develop. He didn't win a lot of games first year. Then this year, you're continuing to see those steps. You know, you see Kyler Gordon becoming a top slot defender, which is really nice, becoming more consistent. You see Jaquan Brisker really turning it on um, the second half of the season, especially, even though he's fighting through injuries every single game. You see Braxton Jones coming in doing well. And then you see the new rookie class and people that are coming in. Darnell Wright. Tyreek Stevenson, even Terrell Smith when he filled in. So it's good to see seven wins, you know, was right around where everybody predicted. It was a chaotic seven wins, but I think chaos is what you have with a young team that lacks depth. Um, So when Polls sells you on a rebuild that's going to take two to three years for long-time success, I think we're right on that sweet spot where we want to be. There's a lot of games we could have won. I think we would have won with more experience, but Brian, I think you crushed it with, High-end players at premium positions. I think that that's something that previous GMs really never had, and especially with their age. Montez Sweat's twenty-seven, DJ Morris twenty-six. You've got Braxton Jones and Darrell Wright at tackle. You've got Jalen Johnson at twenty-four corners. Stevenson Gordon under twenty-five. I mean, it's just key players at key positions. Justin Fields, which we'll talk about a ton this season. He's only he's under twenty-five as well. You know, just a lot of opportunity to add to those premium positions that I think are the most important thing in the NFL. So I love the team building that we have. There's a lot of positives there. I mean, the big negative that I had was just the development of the offense wasn't where I thought it would be. And I think that that was frustrating to see. I mean, we saw Darnell Mooney for a second straight year not be the player that we know he can be. We saw basically everybody that wasn't Cole Komet and DJ Moore basically just be a guy. They didn't really matter in the offense. Khalil Herbert had moments, Roshan had moments, Deontay Foreman had moments, but it was just that side of the ball needed to take that step like the defense had. You could argue that there's more talent on the offense. Um, and I was a little, a little disappointed with how that ended.
1: Yeah, I do I do appreciate DJ Moore, though. I will give him a big shout out because I did not know what wide receiver play looks like on the Chicago Bears, really, besides Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall. So DJ Moore was a very, very welcome addition. So good job, polls there.
2: Yeah. And Montez, I mean, I was pounding the table for him over the Chase Young crowd. And even I did not anticipate this much of a effect, the Tez effect, uh, to the degree that it was. So um, he's made, you know, obviously some missteps in the last few years, but he's made a lot of hits too. So hopefully that continues through this off as well. I
0: completely agree. And, you know, so we ended the season, season, uh, seven and 10, we beat, let's see, Minnesota, Detroit. So, you know, divisional record wasn't as great. Um, probably best win of the year. Well, it was Detroit at home? I would say, um, yeah. you know, you know, and a lot of the teams we played this year, which is fun to look at, are still in the playoffs. You know, Green Bay made the surprising run. Uh, Tampa Bay, Detroit are playing right now. I mean, And then Kansas City plays later on tonight. I mean, the first three games we had, whenever it was panicking, they're still in the NFL playoffs right now. They're, you know, four of the last eight or eight of the last teams that are in the league right now. So, um, you know, we played the Browns in there and a few others. So it's just uh, it's fascinating to kind of look back on what your perceived strength of schedule is versus, you know, where those teams actually ended up. Um, but let's take a look at where we are. So we are in 2024. That season's done for the Bears fans. You know, things in the playoffs, those don't really matter. Let's take a look at where our picks are as of today, where our cap space is a little bit today, and just kind of paint, you know, where we're at. Um, does anybody have our specific picks that we have right now for the draft?
1: Um, I don't have them all up. I just have the first round, but I can I can pull them up really quick.
0: So let's pull up the cap space as well a little bit and just take a look. So um I'll pull up the draft picks here. So we have pick one from the Carolina Panthers. Panthers, we just want to thank you for um uh, yeah, just just helping us out here. We're a franchise that's needed for a long time. We've been on the flip side of this type of trade where you know everyone's saying it's there so i hope that bryce young turns into an all-star yeah, please. Um, I, this is not going to be me bashing the panthers no one can predict the chaos that got us that pick but no one a year ago or 10 months ago when the trade happened would have dreamed that that pick would have turned into the number one pick and went in the best draft the last decade um still have faith
1: in bryce panthers fans still have faith
0: there's just moments i mean we see it time and time again you just you put a guy who gets interior pressure on the line, a bad coaching staff that's not on the same page, no weapons. This is what happens. Um, I mean, uh, as a Bears fan, how many times have we seen it? I mean, all right, so I'm going to go through draft picks, and then, Ryan, you can go through castaway. So right now we have pick one uh, from the Panthers, pick nine from us. Our second, raider, second rounder was traded for Sweat, so we don't have a second rounder right now. We have a third rounder, which is pick 75. We have two fourth-rounders, one that is ours, one that is from the Eagles,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then we have our own fifth-rounder. Our sixth and seventh-rounder, those are gone. I want to say the seventh-rounder was traded for Nikhil Harry last year, and I can't remember Feeney. what happened
2: to the sixth-rounder. Yeah, rounder. And Feeney. Feeney's the sixth, I think, so.
0: Feeney. Oh,
1: Feeney, yeah.
0: Oh, the great – Failures at center. All right. So, I and mean, that's <laughs> right now, it's only six graph picks. I mean, four or five of those are going to be in the top 125 picks. Um, and I'm sure that we're going to be able to do a lot more picks. So, no, we're in a great spot there. Brian, where are we at with cap space?
2: So, this is before any cuts. We have $46 million in cap space um, with the anticipated, uh, I'm guessing, post June 1 cuts. Of probably Eddie and Cody Whitehair, you're looking at an additional probably $24 million being tacked on. So for the second straight offseason, money is not going to be an object, but I also do not expect Polls to go on a spending spree. Um, I think he'll be judicious and sign a lot of second wave people, but we're in good shape there as well.
0: Yeah, we'll get a lot of time to talk about free agency, but $70 million basically is the number that I've been kind of working on in my head with the cuts, you know, not factoring in the Jalen Johnson tag um, or extension if he's the number one corner. But um, so definitely a fascinating spot to be in there. Um, let's talk end of season. What are our needs? What do we need right now? Let's ignore the quarterback conversation because we can go on that for an hour
1: right That's now. a whole other episode. <laughs>
0: have these top, you know, five picks in the top 125. We have top five in cap space after the expected cuts. We're not really losing anybody, I don't think, of value, depending on how you talk to Mooney, talk about Mooney. What are you guys' views on your top three needs for the Bears heading into this offseason? Um, you know, that that we need to be addressing.
1: Yeah, I think um we'll need another edge alongside Montez Sweat. Um Yannick Ngakwe was that other guy, but he's also a free agent as well. Um, So we will need another edge, whether that's through the draft or through free agency. But I do think free agency is so deep that we'll probably attack that through uh, free agency there because there's there's a lot of names which we can get into in other episodes. But, you know, certain guys like Bryce Huff, um, Chase Young, even if they want to pair Washington duo up again, Uh, wide receiver is another need. Um, Don't know. If we'll, I don't think we'll do any big names in wide receiver. I think that's where polls might go, a little bargain bin shopping, like Brian was saying. Um, obviously, center is a need. Please, for the love of God, pay a center. And, yeah, I think just really the rest is depth. Like, our secondary is pretty solid. You'll need to find someone to replace Eddie. Um, but, the, again, safety usually pretty easy to find. Um, but I would say edge, edge and wide receiver are our biggest needs.
2: Yeah, I mean – whoever you ask it's just the same three needs just maybe the order is different it's wide receiver edge and center Um, i do think running back free safety and tight end will be the hidden needs because beyond cole Komet, who does get nicked up and has played through it you're likely moving on from eddie unless they do like a cap friendly deal and he wants to stay on and the running back room is very solid herbert's entering his last year roshan had flashes i think they're moving on from foreman so at the yeah. very least you're going to need to add somebody there but the big three are pretty much across the board i think everybody would agree on
0: if you could only pick one for the number one do you think it's more important to find that compliment that second receiver dj moore or do you think it's more important to find that pass for us to compliment montez Sweat and the other people what do you think
1: we asking like through the use of free agency or through the use of the draft
0: for you to pick one position that we need to find an absolute stud at, what's more important, a secondary pass catcher, playing wide a wide receiver?
1: Or a I would say a receiver.
2: I would say a receiver too, because your you can manufacture a pass rush through other means through the interior yep. deck, well, Dexter. Just... Yeah, signing a three technique, whatever. But if you're either going to draft a quarterback or finally get a return on your investment in fields you can't leave any doubt and no more excuses and they need better production beyond DJ and commit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hate to make us all sound the same, but I would say receiver too. And I think that if you look at free agency every year, you can always find good pass rush help. You can never find a good wide receiver or that. You know, that, you know, that's why he did, not to bring it up, the Chase Claypool trade. You know, you're trying to find something before it becomes a big need. And there's just, I mean, even if you look at this free agency, I think the top names are like Hollywood Brown who are realistically yeah. going to make it there, ignoring. Hollywood,
1: Gabe Davis. Um, but, yeah, with okay. with the Claypool thing, the process was there. Like, I understand what Paul's process was, and I thought the process was good. But the selection of the player landing on Claypool was obviously a miss. But I think the process was there, which is good to see.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, at least he moved on from it he didn't compound it by digging his heels in for two years justifying it but that's a rant for another podcast so
0: he's just uh trying to build on hard mode we don't need that extra second round pick let's just uh you want to make sure that that tank was complete so that's the uh, optimist view i'm gonna take on this one i won't bring up chase too many times i feel like if you say his name three or four times you're just cursed so we'll we'll move on big needs so that's nice that you know we all can understand what the needs are and that we have those assets to actually address them. I feel like there's so many off seasons we enter as Bears fans where we just don't have that cap space, we don't have that draft capital yeah. and we're pairing it in with such a good draft class and free agency. I'm really gonna be fascinated with what that you know, front 22 are because we're in year three. You know, Kevin Warren noted at the end of season press conference, this is a pivotal year. I mean, the expectations for playoffs next year and I think there's gonna be a lot of pressure um, one of the big decisions they made this year is we kept Matt Eberflus' coach. Um, I mean, that's a huge controversial. There's no more debate. Ryan Poles picked Matt Eberflus. We are Ryan and Matt fans in this franchise, and that's just what we're going to stick with. Um, so we picked our head coach, um, or Ryan Poles. I shouldn't say we. Ryan Poles picked our head coach for this year. Um, so this season's huge on how they address that. Um, but uh, well, let's talk a little bit about – the around the NFL because it's this is one of the more fascinating head coaching cycles that have been there. Um thankfully, you know, we're kind of through the cycles, but somebody want to break down what are the openings are and who's been hired so far.
1: Oh man, I don't even remember the openings. Um, there's only been two hirings. Um, Patriots didn't even do an interview process, they just promoted Jared Mayo. They had some kind of stipulation, in the contract where they were able to do that. Um, and then the Raiders. Kept Antonio Pierce made Max Crosby a very happy man, um, but the rest of it has been a, mo- a slow moving situation. Let's see, we have the Chargers still looking for a head coach, but the Falcons, the Titans, the Panthers, um, and I feel like I'm missing one. Seattle, Seattle, and Washington. I think that is Washington. Washington. Yeah, Washington,
0: and then what? Dallas.
1: Dallas and Philly decided – well, actually, we haven't gotten news yet about Philly, but Dallas has decided to go one last season with Mike.
2: I think Philly we would have heard something by now, most likely. Um, Probably. And then Washington did interview BNME finally Mm -hmm. today, so he's on the board with an interview. So,
0: Yeah, and you know, it's just – this is one of the more fascinating cycles and why I want to bring it up. You have one of the most winning coaches in NFL history, and Bill Belichick, you have – the college national championship winner in Harbaugh, you know, former you know, San Francisco grade coach that was in the NFL prior. You have the top offensive coordinator in the NFL, Ben Johnson, quick up-and-comer, and Bobby Slowick uh, for the Texans, who's just a fast riser in his first year playing calls for C.J. Stroud. signing so, mean, just a slew of defensive people, Dan Quinn or Morris, uh, Mike McDonald out of Baltimore, Aaron Glenn, which I'm still shocked he's getting that many interviews interviews but former
1: coach of the year mike vrabel as well
0: yeah and i didn't even mention mike vrabel i mean that's just it's just an insane i mean if we would have said this a week ago two weeks ago that the this was the list of candidates i mean that's i feel bears outrage at keeping is more upset because there's so many candidates there versus what uberfluses actually did as a coach um but it's just one of those uh you know, pivotal times of the offseason for the Bears. So let's just get a quick prediction on, you know, maybe one or two people you think go to these places and on if you think, so big concepts that's going to be out there this year is going to be what happens to Justin Fields? Is he a Bear? Does he get traded? Are there any head coaching hires that you think might move the needle one way or another or any team fits that you kind of see with, you know, where the scope of the NFL is going to be right now?
1: Yeah, I think an interesting one is not necessarily who the head coach is, but maybe who the GM is for the Raiders. Um, It looks like they're going to keep Champ Kelly uh, as their GM. They haven't made it official yet, but Champ Kelly was with Ryan Pace. um, He was, you know, kind of the right-hand man there when they traded up for Justin. Um, So I do think that is a situation that the Raiders would be interested in because they won't, odds are they won't be able to get one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft. Um, So I think Oakland, not Oakland, Las Vegas is a very um, potential spot for him. And then I don't know what Atlanta's doing, but he's always going to be linked to Atlanta just because of those hometown ties.
2: Yeah, and Pace. Um, yeah, and
1: Pace. Hey, I forget about him all the time.
2: Well, that's understandable. We all try to. So <laughs> um, I think Atlanta makes sense only because if Belichick or even Vrabel or Harbaugh goes there, I don't know. Maybe Harbaugh would or even Vrabel but it seems like Belichick is somewhat the leader in the clubhouse, but that could change. I don't see at his age wanting to develop a rookie field no. you, you could kind of insert in there. There's pieces there to work with him. He did always have an infatuation, which came many years too late with Cam Newton. Um, mm-hmm. So this would be like kind of a redo on that. Um, I also maybe Josh McDaniels resurfaces there as an OC Um, Because he's probably not going back to New England. Um, So that is probably where I would connect the dots.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating that the front office that drafted Justin Fields are in the two top, you know, places that could retake him with Pace in Atlanta, not as the head decision maker. And then, uh, you know, Kelly over in Las Vegas. Both of those teams are a good fit. I mean, I think that the Raiders head coaching decision, I mean, I, I thought that they would go the Harbaugh route. I know you both were both on the uh they probably picked Pierce, but who their offensive coordinator could say a lot about that. Yeah. Um and, but I think I love the point that you mentioned right on. you know, kind of what Bill has, you know, he he hadn't fedurised with Cam Newton a long time, brought him in. Didn't they draft Malik Cunningham too last year? But they turned to a receiver and then yep. a QB. So, I mean, I think that he's open to that type of dual threat quarterback, but I, mean, I don't think that it signals anything strong. But I mean, a lot of people are linking Kirk Cousins there, which I think is fair because I think where Bill goes, he's going to want to have that win now quarterback. And for me, that means Kirk Cousins or it means Justin Fields in the way. I don't think that there's a lot of options out there beyond those
1: or two. Russell Wilson, maybe. Oh, Jimmy yeah.
2: Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know about Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy was rough this year. He was. I like,
1: somewhere. I don't know where though.
2: It'll either be Atlanta or New England. I could pretty much guarantee one of those two spots.
0: Completely forgot that Russell Wilson's going to be out there. What a wild ride for Denver the past two years. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun QB carousel that's there. But we're, we're going to get a better picture. So I mean, there's, I think that uh, yeah. Brad Biggs from the uh, Chicago Tribune had a good. Breakdown on Twitter this week. So, with eight head coach hirings, us, New Orleans, Pittsburgh, no, I'm forgetting one. Also, for fire their offensive coordinator. So, it's going to be twelve offensive coordinator hirings um, that are all about to take place here. And I might be even forgetting a couple beyond that.
2: Uh, Cleveland did.
0: Cleveland, oh, yeah, Cleveland. That's the one I just still don't understand fully. I thought that oh, that was the last of their issues. But so we're going to have to they have um, an
1: expensive issue.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's going to be kind of a race to the finish and the bears have been busy this week. So I want me to do a breakdown of who our offensive coordinator interviews have been with so far, and then maybe just do one or two of our preferred options um, and then move on to who we predict it's going to be and if how that's going to shape our giant looming shadow over our franchise, which is the QB decision, um, yeah. that, that you know is coming up every day in every single channel. So, does somebody have a list of the offensive coordinator candidates, or if you can list them just off the top of your yeah. head, who we've interviewed in the I, past? Few
1: I have them pulled up. Um, so, in order of this, NBC Sports Chicago has it. There is Thomas Brown, the Panthers' offensive coordinator. Greg Roman, the former Ravens offensive coordinator. who is not currently employed anywhere. Shane Waldron, the Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator. Clint Kubiak, the San Francisco 49ers passing game coordinator. Greg Olson, not the commentator. Um, Seattle Seahawks quarterbacks coach. Liam Cohen, uh, Kentucky football offensive coordinator. And uh, we just got Cliff Kingsbury News as well, who is currently the quarterbacks coach at USC.
0: I mean, just a fascinating list of names there I mean, some trends that we're definitely seeing. Um, Brian, what are some trends that you think kind of come with that list
2: there? I think for the most part, I think the other name that maybe isn't on that list is Zach Robinson. Oh, Uh,
0: yeah.
2: um, But depending on when they put that tweet out, then they may not be on it. But um, I don't know if that's going to be consequential or not. Um, They seem to be emphasizing play calling experience on at least some level. I think Robinson is the only one that doesn't have any play calling experience. Cohen has it, but it's on a collegiate level. Um, Everybody else, like even though Graham was a position coach before he was OC for a little bit in Carolina, Olsen's been an offensive coordinator several times before in his career. Um, Obviously, we know about Kingsbury. Waldron's done it several times uh, and Kubiak did it for a year. Um, so they look like they're not necessarily, they are fairly married to that Shanahan slash McVay tree. Um, there's a few departures mainly with uh, Roman, um, but they look like they want somebody that's going to be, as they emphasize in the end of the year, press conference, a teacher, and that can teach a wide array of quarterbacks. We'll see if there's four quarterbacks they actually had in mind or if polls just slipped, mm-hmm. but, um, it seems like they have a pretty good idea of what they want, but they're also open to many schemes, which is a refresher because last time we did this, they only interviewed two people because they admitted that they wanted to rush because they were behind. So they interviewed Getsy and I believe Press Taylor was the other name that they uh, they interviewed. So yeah, it or we met him ago. in Pep, Pep Hamilton.
1: Yeah. Yeah
2: getting my uh, Eagle offensive assistant. <laughs>
0: you know, and something I want to bring up is, you know, we, we mentioned nine names that were on the list. Kind of fascinating that a guy like Eric Bieniemy wasn't on the list. I mean, we know he just interviewed for the commander's head coaching job where he was OC at, given his ties with, uh, you know, polls over the last nine years working with Mahomes, working with Sam Howell this year. And then I'm still a little bit surprised. Uh, Kellen Moore wasn't on the list. I mean, he doesn't have as many connections, but, um I know he had worked with Iberfluss before, you know, in Dallas. So there is a connection there that they didn't just talk to him. But again, I don't think that Kellen Moore's got a single interview request at OC across the league. And I don't think the enemy has either.
1: No, I think all they each have had was just a head coaching interview with their respective teams they're on now.
0: Correct. So we have our list. I mean, we've started to move on to defensive coordinator interviews at this point. So, so let me hear your thoughts on the top candidates that maybe one you're excited for one that, you know, you're hoping gets hired and just your details on why, why you want that person.
1: Yeah. So I have two names that stick out to me the most. Um, My first name would be Shane Waldron, the um, Seattle offensive coordinator. He's just, he's worked with, you know, Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, and Pete Carroll. Um, He's helped Gino basically resurrect his career. And he just always has pretty innovative um, offensive schemes and offensive play calling. Um, he'll use like three tight end sets sometimes, which is pretty fun. Um, so he's just really innovative. Um, his offense is usually in the top half for things and um, scoring, rushing, passing. He's usually in the top half. Uh, he's worked with Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, and Geno Smith, um, and he's made them all look, you know, pretty respectable. All three of those are are pretty good quarterbacks, though. But I think. I think Waldron's an interesting name, and the second name for me would be Cliff Kingsbury. Um, just end of the day, he knows how to coach an offense to me. Um, he, he comes from that air raid system, but I do think he does a little bit more than just air raid. Um, even when he was with Arizona, he, they had top offenses pretty much every year except his last. Um, and I know a lot of people say, well, he doesn't run the ball. Um, Kenyon Drake was like five yards short of a thousand yard season with Cliff Kingsbury as the head coach. So I don't think running would be a a giant problem with Cliff Kingsbury.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would probably co-sign Waldron. Um, I don't necessarily know if I would say he's my top one, but he's up there. Um, he's worked with an array of quarterbacks. He worked with Russ, he's worked with Goff, Um, and he's also worked with Gino as Alyssa referenced. So that there's that different types of quarterbacks he's worked with, um, They've been pretty productive. The only criticism I have heard with him, which is also one that is synonymous with Kingsbury, is that they don't run the ball enough. Um, I was listening to Waddle and Sylvie this past week, and they had uh, Brock Huard on who uh, does the games for Seattle, and he said that was the main complaint um, and criticism for Waldron. Some fan bases are just never happy no matter how many times you run the ball. Um, They did have Kenneth Walker and Charbonnet, so I know they got decent production out of both. Um, the other guy isn't necessarily that I would want as an OC, but I want him on staff. And that's Greg Olson. Um, again, I think a lot of bears are going to freak out that we're pulling a Jeff Saturday and we're hiring a commentator. It is not that Greg Olson. Um, but as I've pointed out to a few other people, look at the names, the numbers he's produced at where his stops are, but pay attention to the names there. He got 19 touchdowns and 12 interceptions out of Joey Harrington He got 4,800 yards in the passing yardage leader out of Derek Carr. He got probably his most impressive year, 36 touchdowns and 4,000 yards out of Blake freaking Bortles. And they rode that to an AFC championship game. So again, maybe the numbers overall, Josh Freeman, he also got a few good years out of him. And these are all very different types of quarterbacks. So even if he comes only as a quarterback coach, but I think you could do worse as an offensive coordinator and this I don't necessarily think should be a selling point, but I'll put it out there anyway. If you hire him as your offensive coordinator and he does well, I don't think anybody's going to be running out to hire a 60-year-old. Probably just not. Saying. So just saying. Um, but he, his, the totality of his resume is pretty impressive, especially the minds he's been associated with. Gruden trusted him. McVay trusted him. Um, And then I believe, and then Pete Carroll trusted him. So you have three fairly accomplished head coaches there that bestowed their offense on him in some capacity. Um, So they would be the two names in some capacity that I would like to see uh, come to Chicago.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of grimaced at the Greg Olson interview a little bit. Um, I would love to see him here with some of these young make make big guys as QB coach um, or in that secondary role. I and mean, I just having that kind of guy on the staff, especially if you hire um, somebody on my list is actually going to be Zach Robinson. I'm going to put him there just because I feel like the NFL is going to know better than I do. And he's received so many inquiries at this point. And I think that he's been under directly McVay for five straight years now, Uh, assistant wide receivers coach, assistant QB coach. And he touched a few different parts of the offense. And I want some of that, you know, that Bobby Slowick, that Kevin O'Connell magic, you know, coming from that tree of just guys who are innovative, innovative in today's NFL. Um, The part about not playing, doing a, you know, Play calling scares me My, you know, heading into this. I wanted a guy who was an experienced play caller. I wanted a guy who's worked with QBs before, preferably developed a rookie quarterback or a quarterback. And I think that Waldron and Kingsbury definitely hit both of those a little bit better as do almost every other candidate. But Zach Robinson's really interesting to me, but he's also I think the highest risk out of anyone we're interviewing because just because the people before him succeeded does not give any hindrance that he will succeed. Um, but it's just interesting that he's got the interviews that he has, uh, my, my number one, I mean, I don't want uh, to completely go off what everyone else has, but it would be Waldron as well. I mean, it's kind of, kind of boring, but the things that I've heard about him that worry me is that all Seahawks fans are telling me that, oh, he's great with that first drive or two, He does amazing. But then when we have to actually game script, that's where things fall apart. And we've lived that life. Luke Getze might be the best drive one offensive coordinator in the NFL, um, but it's, you know, it's just, it's a good list of names. I mean, I'm never going to panic on who we hire as a coordinator or as a QB coach because there's so many variables. I mean, who is the best offensive coordinator we've had in 20 years?
1: <laughs> Adam Gaze. I don't, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, Adam Gaze, Mark Trestman, probably. Mark Tressman's probably the most hated coach of the Bears in the last 20 years, but he could call an offense, it seemed.
2: Ironically, our two most successful offensive coordinators, Historically, are probably two of the most hated figures in Chicago sports, <laughs> and Mike Martz and Mark Trussman. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, tell Mike mom. No, never mind. But we'll try <laughs> to keep it <laughs> together. Well, I process. can do. I can do it if you want. So.
1: <laughs> no, I don't want <laughs> to put the explicit tag on this. <laughs> I mean,
0: what, what I like is for the cycle is I like the approach this time. I like the process, and I think that I think we're definitely going to see some of these guys in the. Because we have a offensive coordinator role open, QB coach, wide receiver coach, um, running back coach, and assistant tight end and assistant online coach. So it's going to be five or six names that we see in there. Um, so those are mine. We are seemingly done with offensive coordinator uh, interviews as we've moved on to defensive coordinator ones. So give me your prediction next week, one week from now. Who are we talking about that we just hired at offensive coordinator?
1: Uh, see, this is tough. I, I think they're going to stay methodical. Um, and most of, most of the other teams don't seem like they're in any rush to hire and fill their staff. So I don't think polls will feel like he's in any rush. Um, but I'm going to guess it is either Waldron or Clint Kubiak.
0: And Kubiak, we didn't even talk about a lot. I mean, he's definitely a guy who's has the play call experience, worked under Shanahan. And I think that the family ties there, I think will be important to somebody like, you know, not Kevin Warren, because he I don't think he has a big say in this, but I think that, that that will have a factor that's in there. He grew up in the NFL life and he's just, he's only had that one year, um, but definitely two good
2: names. Brian, what do you think? I think it's Kubiak at this point. So probably a week from now, we will still be waiting because they can't <laughs> hire him until they're done. So, um yeah, he has one year of experience. I would ideally like more, which is why Waldron's rated higher for me and some of the other guys. Um, I looked at the numbers. Dalvin Cook did well. Cousins had a good year. It's a it's a small sample size. It's better than Getzey as far as experience, but one year, I'd like a little bit more. But they may not be able to. And I think the temptation to pick from the uh, Shanahan tree is going to be too tempting, and they're going to go with that.
0: And I feel like they try to talk themselves out of that tree. That they, you know, they talk to like seven guys on that tree, and then a great Roman and Cliff Kingsbury just to throw everybody, just to troll everybody, based off who were going to be a quarterback. Um, but uh, it's tough. So those are probably the two favorites. I- I'm going to throw out. And it's tough. It's it to me. Them going to LA for Kingsbury says something to me. I'm going to put him out there. I think that that could be a legitimate hire for us. It doesn't fit the scheme that we have, but it fits a lot of everything else. I think that Poles scouting, you know, when he was cheese working his way up and Kingsbury being a coach that entire time, he had to be on their short list, which they knew going into it. Waldron, I don't think would have been on there because I don't think anybody expected that, you know, him to be available as an offensive coordinator. Um, and i think that they knew that they had the kingsbury interview lined up immediately when the season ended he would have been a guy on the list regardless so i'm gonna go left field i think kingsbury is gonna be the surprising name and then everyone's just gonna you know think who it's gonna be so
1: yeah there's gonna be some split opinions on kingsbury
0: yeah and
2: i also like i I know we've talked offline about this but Um, or off-camera about this, but they're also interviewing some of these people potentially for positional coaches. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if Kingsbury would leave USC for like a quarterback coach position, but let's say they hire Waldron and then Kingsbury comes. If Waldron leaves, this is, again, putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but if Waldron leaves, Kingsbury would be a natural successor to him as an OC. I don't know if they would go that deep into this. Um, I think Kingsbury's interview was dual purpose to get as much information on caleb also what would you do with field hypothetically because you know again maybe some questions they have about kingsbury is you know in your previous stops what went wrong because remember how much in flames uh him and kyler murray's uh relationship went down the tubes and that's why kyler murray got an extension and Kingsbury got an extension, but also got a vacation to Thailand, so.
1: Same as Steve <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: So a lot of fun. I mean, we, we could talk just a little bit. I mean, we're going to end up here, you know, where we're all kind of waiting for that big coordinator. So we're hoping that it ties into who our QB is going to be. I mean, I don't think we're going to get information on that for a while. in um, any comments So we've only done one uh, defensive coordinator interview today, and that was Chris Harris. Any thoughts on that or other people you think we're going to interview this week on that? Before we get yeah.
1: I, I mean, I don't know a ton about Chris Harris, admittedly. Um, I did look him up. He played for the Bears a, a little bit. He was drafted by the Bears. Um, so he definitely knows the scheme. He knows the system because um, he was, you know, there when Lovey was. Uh, I think it might be – I think he could be a good hire. Um, he seems well-respected. Um, I saw in the Titans Reddit a lot of people were saying he was kind of given a short end of the stick with his DBs back there. Um, so seems like people like him. We'll see how that goes.
2: Um I'm old enough to remember him. um he's a very cerebral pr- player. um I believe he was a fifth round pick from I think Louisiana Monroe, so right yep. down this right down the street from Louisiana Lafayette, where peanut came from. uh, but he was very well respected. I thought he had played more. He only played uh twenty five I think started twenty five games for us over a few years, then came back. Uh, mm-hmm. but he's he's paid his dues. He's made a few uh, cups of coffee with a few teams, I think the Chargers, the Titans. And I know he interviewed for Jacksonville's uh, defensive coordinator position as well. Um, I think he would resonate very well with, uh, with the, the players. Um, I don't think he's overlapped with any of them, but I think he would be able to connect with them because he's not that far removed from the game. Yeah. I think it's interesting because
0: they interviewed him last year or two years ago as well for a position on the staff and now they're, re, you know, bring him in for another interview. So, I mean, I think he'd be in a great spot if Eberflus continue to call the defensive players, where he gets to learn a little bit, help with the schemes and help with that, you know, young team. So I'd be all for it. I mean, I could see us interviewing a lot of people Ron Rivera is out there, you know, he's been in the system, he's been a DC here before. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of older names that are there who can also come in, but it's good that we're getting that process going. And then, like you guys have been saying, it makes me think we're on the waiting game for one of the offensive coordinators to get back to us and they kind of know what path they want to go in there.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And I, think the, I think the defensive coordinator hire could also come with from within. Like maybe if Phil Snow um, wants to be defensive coordinator again, they can give him that title. But I think I saw something saying he doesn't want to be D.C. again. Um, but Phil Snow was pretty integral to helping Eberflus uh, this year, so I can see them wanting to keep him in any kind of capacity.
2: I also think it could be in, in from within. I would think it would be Hoke, unless he did not want it, um, yeah. because he's a longtime disciple of this scheme. Snow runs a very different front with uh, when he was with uh, Rule. He ran that three-three-five, which I personally hate, but um, there's a lot of variants of it. Um, And I don't know if the upsurge in the defense has a lot more to do with Montez Sweat than it does Phil Snow. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, But Leslie Frazier is another name that I would probably keep tabs on, has ties to Hallis Hall, maybe looking for a situation that can kind of catapult him to a head coaching gig, because I know he wants that. I think that's kind of a pipe dream at this point, but um, he is familiar with the scheme and also playing here. He knows what it goes into playing in Chicago.
0: Yeah, and another uh, internal name I note was maybe Borgonzi, our linebackers coach. You know, he's yeah, coaching yeah. the Shrine team this year, um, or one of the Shrine teams this year. So I think that, you know, it's good that we have that talent on the staff. Um, and I think that he got a lot out of that group this year, good at the play calls. So just, I think people are less worried about defensive coordinator because Eberfluce calls the plays and is most likely going to be doing so next year, at least i hope so. So, yeah. A lot of exciting things. Any final Bear thoughts? We're going to end this on our prospect of the week. Um, any final Bears thoughts you have or hopes that happened this week? Packers lost last night. So sad to see them out of the playoffs. Just just tough. Lions oh, no. to get to get uh, just, just, just the worst. Uh, any final NFL thoughts before we end it off here?
1: No, I just want to see some movement. I'm an impatient person, so yeah. I just want to see someone hire someone
2: i'm more patient in my older age which is counterintuitive but um, i just want to see them get them right um so if i have to wait an extra week or two i'm fine with that um if it ends up being kubiak and they end up making the super bowl then i think bears twitter will like melt down that they're dragging their feet (laughs) somebody and especially if if staff start filling out but it's a long off season, so I'm just bracing for a little bit longer of a wait. Maybe
0: I've been wanting to make a meme for a long time of like Bears Twitter and Bears Reddit, where people get upset at something that's not been finalized yet. They blame Polls for not doing anything. Polls makes a great move, and then everyone's happy. And you know, there's like this just giant tidal wave of anger and upset over something that hasn't actually happened yet, but they're predicting it. Oh no, we didn't sign Mike McGlinchey, and now we don't have a right tackle. And you know Ryan Polls hates <laughs> just. It's not going to do anything. Oh, we drafted Darnell Wright and he actually does really, good. Mike McGinchy's overpaid, probably the worst signing free agency. You know, those <laughs> types of things, they happen every single time. Um, where if you just look back, it's just, it's a process. And I think that that's just this day and age with Twitter and instant news that, you know, we're all addicted to. So let's hop into prospect of the week. Who wants to start us off?
1: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, So my prospect of the week I did was um, I decided I'll do a Michigan player since they did win the championship. Congrats to Michigan. Didn't think you would do it. Um, So my guy is Mikey Sandstrill, a defensive back for Michigan. He played slot corner primarily for Michigan. um, So he might still be Probably will still be a slot in the NFL, but I think he may have potential as a free safety. Um, so that is why I'm going to talk about him a little bit. I think he's definitely going to be a riser throughout the process. Um, he was pretty unknown name going into this draft cycle, and he's slowly getting a little bit more recognition. I heard um, the NFL Stock Exchange was talking about Sandstrill this past episode um, but he used to be a receiver. Um, he played receiver at Michigan for three years. And then the team was like, Hey, we need some defensive players. And Sanstrel said, I got you. Um, he became a excellent slot corner. Um, he definitely has that receiver background to him. He basically, he mirrors routes. He runs the routes better than some receivers. Ball skills are insane. Um, he's just high for player. Um, coaches always rave about his work ethic. His awareness, just fantastic. Um, so I think he's he's going to be a good ball hawk in the league, whether that's at nickel or at safety.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll knock it out. So I'm only going to talk about alignment for the next however long that we do this. So um, mine is going to be, and I apologize if I pronounce this wrong, uh, Talisa Puaga, he's the offensive tackle out of Oregon State. Um, I'm trying to, when I watch Dave and when I'm looking at people, I try to fight, find people who are going to fit the – Ryan Pohl's vision that it seems to have for O-line, where they're these ultra-athletic guys who like to finish, have a nasty streak, um, leadership qualities, and Fuaga is just so much fun. Um, just a violent player, plays right tackle for Oregon State, um, very good in movement. Um, he is, I mean, I, I try to think of the best way to describe him. He's some form of mix between Peter Skronsky and like a Darnell Wright for me where he just has this great control, but he just wants to hurt people. He gets excited about it. He lines up and he's just, he's giddy about playing. I mean, the entire line response to him as somebody who played offensive line for a long time, it's just, you, you see that type of leadership that's there. I think I see him more as a guard than I do a tackle just because when you watch him, he can get beat to the outside. He doesn't have that lateral range that you want to be able to beat speed rushers. I'm not sure how he's going to measure. Um, I like the concept that learn a lot of people talk about where they say you play him a tackle first, see if he can't do it and he goes to guard. Um, for me, I like Skaronski last year. I thought that you would play him a tackle, but if we did, a, you know, we're in a position at pick nine, the receivers are gone, Bowers is gone, tackles are gone, and we want to trade back. He's a lineman that I could see fitting directly next to Darnell Wright. You know, maybe he can move over to tackle, and if you just have this just nasty offensive line with Wright and Flaga and Tevin Jenkins, maybe Cushionberry or Vietas, the Dallas center that I just completely butchered his name on, so – I'm um, Just a really fascinating prospect. He's definitely going to be in that top 15 to top 20. This offensive tackle class is just so stacked that it's going to be interesting what people value at the position um, because he has it. He may not be the elite athlete. Some guys in this offensive line are going to be or in this offensive class are going to be, but he's just an elite football player. Instincts are there. He's everything that you want in alignment, and he's going to be a good starter from day one. So something that I really enjoyed watching that likely. I know we don't need an offensive tackle, um, but somebody, if we picked him, I would just be very, very excited for it.
2: Yeah, my guy is a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, definitely does not have the uh, the pedigree school-wise, but he is from the Father Harbaugh's old school, uh, Western Kentucky. So um, watching uh, Debo highlights last night, the brief amount that he played, Uh, malachi corley from western kentucky is going to be somebody that i'm sure we'll talk about more in future episodes Mm -hmm. um he could potentially be somebody assuming that we draft or sign somebody maybe draft a wide receiver we do a double dip he's somebody you could probably bring along slower but he may be their take two on what they thought valus would be where you just get (laughs) him in space and kind of let him he is a little raw as far as route running, um, there's definitely some you know technique you have to work with, whoever the new wide receiver coach is going to be, but he's somebody that they have always emphasized people after the catch, and he was uh, nicknamed by his teammates the uh, the Yak King, uh, so he is he's a bigger receiver. Um, they didn't really try to use a lot of nuance. They just got the ball in his hands and go, um, so you can maybe mess around with him, get some small packages to start off and kind of spoon feed him um, and then possibly be a replacement for Valus um, and special teams as well too. Uh, but he's somebody that should be fun to watch throughout the all-star games, the combine, and maybe, you know, yeah. visits or personal workouts. So Malachi Corley put a pin in that name.
1: Yeah. That's I a good name.
0: Love Corley. I'm so happy that you brought him up. I mean, just uh piggyback off that I did watch him about a month ago, I just saw I forget who was talking about it on Twitter and I hopped in a few of his games and he's like my dream. And like the early third, like pick 75, there's, you know, we keep saying that he's not going to get there, but somebody has to get there out of this insane wide receiver class. I mean, it's one of those where I'm not going to panic. if We don't get a wide receiver at pick nine, which I know is the dream everyone has right now, because if we can pick up uh Who knows, a Keon Coleman early round two, if we get one of those picks, and then Malachi Corley in round three. It's just, there's so many good people and Corley has some of the most fun tape. If anyone's out there, just watch some of his highlights from the last year. And if we are running that Shanahan style system with Kubiak or with Robinson, or even if we're running an air raid with uh, Kingsbury, he's just a fascinating prospect and just a lot of fun to watch. So any final thoughts that we have there, Brian or Alyssa? No, no. Thank you so much for joining us on the first Windy City Worm podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at WindyCityWR. Um, hopefully, um, we're going to be creating a new Twitter. I'll be Windy City WR Tim on Twitter and uh, we appreciate your time.